Hi guys, and welcome back to Mindful Minds. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, deconstruction, and I have my sister on for this episode, which is super fun. But before we get into that, I wanted to give you guys the trigger warnings for this episode. So we are going to be talking about deconstruction, religious shame, trauma, sexual assault, sexual misconduct done by pastors, homophobia, racism, ableism, and misogyny inflicted by the church, eating disorders, fasting, and fat phobia. And then we have a brief conversation about cults, um, which I know is a lot of information, but um, we're going to be covering a lot in this episode. Um, it's essentially the part two to my deconstruction journey. Um, and in addition to that, I wanted to give a few kind of logistical announcements. So for one, yesterday we celebrated six years of Serafina blog. I started the blog when I was 17 and, um, honestly was just trying to get my emotions and my feelings out of somewhere besides my head. And it started on a WordPress domain of just me kind of writing like my diary. Um, and now six years later we have the podcast and we have the blog and, um, a lot of things have come out of it. And I just wanted to thank the people who have stuck by me through it because the blog started as a Christian blog and there's been a lot that has changed since then, which you're going to hear about in this episode. But, um, so cool to see the six years. Uh, I didn't realize it was the six year anniversary and I got a Facebook memory. Um, and it's just been probably the best creative endeavor I've ever gone on. And I just, it's been so nice to, to have it be well received. And especially, uh, for those of you who are new and came from TikTok, thank you so much for all of the love from that. Um, my listens have literally quadrupled, which is insane. Um, and so with that being said, especially going into this episode, I know a lot of people are probably here for deconstruction content. And so if you're looking for deconstruction content, I already kind of, I allude to this later in the episode, but, um, I have a, a Instagram post up on my Instagram account right now that shows all of the deconstruction episodes that we've done. And it's kind of a master list. So um, if you're looking for more episodes, we have kind of a master list on the Instagram, which is at Serafina blog. And then in addition, I'm recording this Thursday. And so today we announced, um, we, it's me, it's just me. It's, I'm the only person here. Um, I announced the, um, Mindful Minds website. So my seraphinablog.com domain was getting quite crowded with trying to fit the blog and um, Mindful Minds and poetry and all of that stuff. And then I wanted to add some resources. And so I decided to just kind of split them into two websites. And so we now have seraphinablog.com that houses all of the blog, which are the mental health, the justice, the sex, and the poetry posts. And it also houses the song of the season and the values and some other things. Um, and then now we have mindfulmindspod.com and mindfulmindspod.com now houses everything with listening info, um, where to listen, how to listen. It also houses, uh, the contact forms. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, or if you'd like to sponsor the podcast, um, and then I was able to add a resources page, which I'm so excited about because I've wanted to do that for a while. All of my resources have been living on my bio site um, and it was getting really crowded. So um, we now have the resources page and um, that page houses uh, resources for deconstruction, 
mental health, abortion, abuse, and trauma. So if you're looking for resources uh, in that in those fields, um, those are now available at your disposal um, at mindfulmindspod.com. And then the last kind of logistical announcement is because of the six-year anniversary, um, I decided to do a giveaway. So I am giving away a copy of The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. Um, I have praised it so much on this podcast. I have literally three episodes, episode 28, 29, and 30, breaking down the book because I I love it so much and I think it's so important. Um, And so we have that giveaway running on the Instagram at Serafina blog, and um, that will be open until the 6th of September at 8 p.m. PST. Um, And basically just follow, like, and comment, and you can get entered into the giveaway. So Um, those are kind of our logistical announcements for this episode and I hope you enjoy it. It is a long one, but it's, it's so good and I, I love it so much. So I hope you guys enjoy it too. Hi all, and welcome back to Mindful Minds. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today we're going to be chatting about deconstruction. So, um, for those of you who don't know, um, I posted a TikTok, uh, two weeks ago, uh, and it was kind of just a goofy little silly TikTok that I didn't think much of, um, that talked like a tiny bit about, um, me being an ex-church kid and specifically showed a tattoo that I used to have of a Bible verse on my arm that was massive. And, um, it started getting some traction on TikTok. Um, and then it started getting a lot of traction on TikTok. And next thing I know, it has 8 million views. So um, from that, I had a lot of people uh, reach out and want to know more about my deconstruction journey, if I was still involved in the church, what the cover up of the tattoo looked like, because that too, tattoo has now been uh, covered up. And um, from that, got a lot of people inter- interested in the podcast and having really specific questions about um leaving the church and the, what, what are the problems within the church? Like, why did you leave? Um, and so this episode is basically going to be a Q and a, uh, kind of style from some questions that I've been sent over the past two weeks, um, either via TikTok or via Instagram. And then, um, it's also going to be kind of a part two to my deconstruction journey. So the first episode that I kind of told people to go to, uh, on TikTok was episode five which is where I go through my deconstruction journey. And that was almost a year and a half ago when I uh, recorded that t- that uh, episode. And so I wanted to give a little bit of a part two um, to give some clarification and also just some updates as to where I am kind of like in my journey now, because it's a little bit different than where I was a year and a half ago. Um, and to do that, um, I actually have invited my sister on. Um, and she's going to talk with us a little bit about, uh, our experiences as children and, uh, how we grew up and our, we went to the same Christian school and kind of all of that. So today we have Manny on. Hello. Hi. Oh, that was Um, very loud. No, that's okay. Um, but yeah, so we're going to go through, um, some questions and, um, specifically like, uh, kind of go through questions, but then also, uh, talk a little bit about what to do, which uh, Manny and I have talked about this privately quite a bit, but we've talked about kind of what to do when the deconstruction phase ends. And so we're going to cover that as well, because I think that sometimes you get really stuck in the angry, like bitter, like I need to, you know, deconstruct and I need to do it now. Um, And uh, 
once you're out of that and you've decided, no, I'm leaving the church and like, that's what I'm doing. Sometimes it can kind of feel like, okay, well now I don't really know where to go. I don't know how to process these emotions. And also a lot of the deconstruction like platforms on Instagram often are still in that active deconstruction phase where they're expressing anger and, and it can be hard to kind of find a community after that as well. So we're going to touch on that at the end um, after we uh, battle some of these questions because they're, they're really, really, really good questions and people had a lot of them. Um, and so first of all, thank you guys for sending questions in and thank you for all the support on the podcast. Um, my listens have like tripled in the past two weeks, which is so cool. Um, and I've been working on this podcast for so long and not really knowing if people would listen. And it's been really cool to have people reach out and say that it means a lot to them. So if you're from TikTok and you're listening, thank you so much. Um, I recently posted on Instagram, basically a, uh, list of episodes that cover deconstruction on my podcast. And so um, if you go to my Instagram at Serafina blog, there's more episodes that cover it. Um, I think we have about 10 episodes that touch on religion to some extent. Um, but we're going to get into these questions. So first of all, I want to introduce uh, Manny. You want to give a little bit of your background and kind of uh, your deconstruction journey, a little summary of it? Hi, I'm Manny. Um, so Fina's my sister. I'm three years older. I'm 26. Um, we both live in the greater Seattle area and we attended the same private Christian school, which I know that she's talked about her experience a lot there. Um, and yeah, I, I had a very similar growing up experience as Fina did. Obviously we lived in the same home. We went to the same school. Um, and I would say that I, I was like really in it. I, I was very deep into the world of um, Christianity and evangelicalism very specifically and actually went to a private Christian liberal arts university near Portland with the desire to one day be a pastor or a chaplain. Um, I got my degree in theology and ministry and spent a lot of money doing that. <laughs> Uh, but ultimately what I wanted to do, even after having some of my deconstruction journey take place in university, um, is I wanted to like come back and teach as a professor, um, like be a theology professor or something to that extent. Didn't totally know what that would look like, but that was what I wanted to do. And I kind of shifted from this pretty stark legalism and um, fundamentalism that I was brought up in at the private Christian school we went to. And I kind of shifted to this more progressive liberation theology while I was in college, um, a more affirming version of Christianity. Uh, and then everything fell apart during the pandemic. Um, so May of 2020. And I've been on this very different road than what I expected my life would look like since then. So um, just for clarification too, for the audience, like, do you consider yourself actively deconstructing or do you consider yourself no longer a religious person? Hmm. Um, I would say that when I kind of entered into this era of deconstruction, I didn't know what to call it. Like I didn't have the language for it. I didn't call it deconstruction. I just knew that the way I viewed the world was falling apart. And um, 
there is a, there's a pastor, I forget his name. Um, but he speaks a lot about deconstruction, um, as a more larger perspective as the whole, our, all of our worldviews are consistently breaking down when we go through trauma, when we go through big, massive life shifts, world changes, environment shift. Um, so I would say that part of my deconstruction journey with my faith has been like an overall worldview deconstruction um, and has been a breaking down of these identities that have been given to me and placed on me and in turn creating a version of myself that I'm the one who's in charge of that, that I have the agency and I have the control of deciding who I am and who I want to be and what and what my values are. So I would say that... Uh, I, I'm still construct deconstructing, but probably not in the way that exvangelicals view it. I think that it's more just my life in general keeps falling apart and not in a bad way. Like I, it's just, um, it's opening up and it's disintegrating a little bit as time moves on and new things are being built in the process of that. So I think it's deconstruction and reconstruction happening simultaneously. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I think that's interesting because I don't know if I've ever actually heard that from you directly, funny enough, because um, I think that my experience is a little bit different. And I think w even when I um, recorded the deconstruction episode, I was pretty fresh out of it. Like I had announced publicly that I was leaving the church in June 2020. And not just leaving the church, but like leaving Christianity, period, in June 2020. Right. And from June or from uh, 2018 to 2020, I, that was when it started of me like doubting and having issues and having problems. But that was during my sexual assault investigation. And basically, yeah, I couldn't afford to lose anything else during that time period. And that was like the one no. thing that kind of helped keep me going was this idea that like someone greater had an idea or something, some plan for something. And I think what I realized after exiting entirely was that the idea of someone having a plan actually stresses me out more than it comforts me. Because then if someone has a plan, the question that comes with that is, why did you let this happen to me? And I think that question bears a lot more weight. And uh, basically, like the comfort that you get from God has a plan is less for me than the stress that I would get and the pain that I would receive from why did you let this happen? And I think those questions are like sisters in a way where you kind of can't have one without having the other. Um, yeah. And so once I actually- They're very intertwined. They're intertwined. Yeah. And sure. once I exited, period, I was like, oh, it's actually a lot more freeing to like look at it and say, uh, no one has a plan, but also no one let this happen to me. And like, okay, I can yeah. just kind of like- go forward with my life and um, realize that if there is something that's going to be made, uh, even like the making beauty from something, I don't love that because I think it can be used to invalidate people's experiences really easily. But like for me personally, I like to try to find ways that I can grow and ways that I can make something that was really shitty, not as shitty if I can help other people through it. And I think that's more of a coping mechanism for me than it is anything else. And I also don't think that you have to do that with your trauma. I think that's a very Christianese thing is to be like, you for have sure. to use your trauma for good to like better the world. And I don't think that that's accurate. But for me, like the podcast was a big way that I was like, well, I can talk about this and process and heal. And also mm -hmm. like people can relate to it. 
But that was something that once I decided to do that, that was a year out of me being out of Christianity. And it was like, I was yeah. like, no, I'm doing this for me. And I'm doing this because this is my plan. Not because it's anyone else's yeah. plan. It's my plan. And if I want to make something out of this, I can. If I don't, I don't have to. And there's like no shame in either one of those. And there's not any moral weight in either of them. Yeah, too. yeah. Like one does not make you morally good and one would make you morally irresponsible or bad or harmful. And I think those are the binaries that really hold up evangelicalism. And when I say evangelicalism, I mean that very specifically because American Christianity is such a small picture of what Christianity is as a whole, yeah. not just currently, but in the entire history of Christianity. Yeah. And that's what's missing from a lot of these, um, you know, Christian schools, uh, mega churches, very like experience based, um, feeling based sex of American Christianity is there's not any history that you're taught really outside of what you read in the Bible. Right. And if you are taught that you're probably exposed to it from very, uh, dogmatic perspective, very one-sided, um, or at the very least a binary that there's this one perspective and then there's this other one and one of them is good and one of them is bad. Um, and I think that that's what really is like the structure that creates a fear incentive for people to stay because mm -hmm. the fear of being bad <laughs> uh, and the end result of that um, is not just like this idea of hell, because I think a lot of evangelicals can't even, I mean, people can't even conceptualize that, but I don't think that a lot of evangelicals even really know what they believe when it comes to the idea of hell. Um, because it's so evasive in the way that evangelicalism discusses it as well, because it's like, well, if you, if you accepted Christ at one point in your life, that always um, confused the shit out of me. You're always in. Yeah. Right. So then if you leave the church, you're all, you accepted it at one point. So then you're always in, but then it's like, well, only the person who knows, knows, and only God actually knows. So there, it's this very vague evasive thing that we don't really understand because they act like there's these rules around it but i don't think anybody actually uh has a clear answer because there isn't one like there just isn't um but i think greater than that is like this fear of loss this fear of abandonment this fear of losing community that Maybe even the fear of hell isn't what drives a lot of evangelicals to remain in this like fear center. Um, I think a lot of it is it's the loss of community. It's the loss of your identity. It's the loss of your moral goodness. It's the loss of life that you've as you've known it. Yeah. Well, and I, I think to be totally honest, I was definitely scared of hell as a child. I think all children are who are oh, raised yeah, in, in Christianity. Um, but I was definitely raised in an environment where I knew what hell was. And I think that, um, I think to be, which I've talked about how dangerous that is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to be totally <laughs> honest, I think that it is more scare for me. It was more frightening to disappoint God. Like I was more afraid of disappointing God than I was afraid of hell itself. 
And I think that the other part of it as well is the nuance aspect. You're my sister, so you're incredibly aware of this, but you do a lot better in gray. Even as a child, you would like be able to kind of be like, well, like, well, what about like so-and-so? And like, what does so-and-so think of things? And you got a lot better at it as an adult of like, you were, you were quicker to go to nuance than I was a lot quicker. Um, even if that was a show, like you were still better. You were still, yeah, you were still, sure, you were still show. quicker at it. And for me, like after I left, it was masking. Yeah. It was like, I never believed what I was saying. I just knew that it was the thing I should be saying. So it looked like I was comfortable in the gray and in the nuance and I'm not, and I never have been, yeah. but, but you're at least, you're way. at least better at even recognizing that it exists because I yes. am yeah, so sure. incredibly <laughs> black and white that I think one of the reasons why hell was really daunting was hell is very much so in the gray. It, it's yeah. very like nuanced and it's not really, there's not really an explanation for it. I like hard sets of rules. I liked that the Bible yeah. had hard sets of rules that I remember like my mom would say that, well, if you've accepted Jesus once, like he's always in your heart and you don't go to hell. And I would like ask my mom, like, but what if then you start killing a ton of people? Like, then do you go to heaven? And my mom was like, I don't know. And I was like, no, but like, what are, what are the, what are the rules? So I can know if I can get in, like, I need to know the exact yeah. like specifications. Yeah. And I need to know the exact qualifications of me being able to get here. Cause I've talked about this before, but my entire relationship with religion was a lot of me trying to earn my way into, uh, the good place, which was why I, that TV show really knocked it out of the park for me. Um, I loved it. Which also, I'm now conflicted about it because the showrunner just there's yeah. she, she made so many racist comments that no one knew about until very recently. So I'm now <laughs> conflicted about like even watching it. But when I watched it, it was helpful. Um, but I think that the the gray of that was really confusing. And so when I was in religion, I there's this especially at the Christian school that we went to, there was this really intense narrative of um, it's your faith, not your works, that get you like to have a relationship with God. And I always felt so guilty because I would work really hard for the works and I would try really hard to cross out all these boxes and make sure that I was doing everything right. And I actually always would like be a little bit jealous of you specifically because you went through a period in high school where you were incredibly intense about the way that you studied the Bible. And it was a lot because of the people that you were hanging out with, yeah. but you went through a period that you were like yeah. intense about it. And I, I yeah. never got there. And I was always like, it was always a, like really hard for me to read my Bible. And I'm sure it was difficult for you as well. But to like a little sister, it looked like you were just like yeah. way more like religiously superior than I was. Honestly, I ate that shit up. I still do. I, I, I think I've always been obsessed with it. Like it's not, it wasn't just, I wasn't all in about it just because I was raised that way. It's truly like religion in general is one of those fascinating things in the world to me. And I think that's one of the reasons why I got a degree in theology. There were a lot of other reasons why I did that I wasn't aware of at the time, but it truly is like the most interesting thing in the world to me. So like, and it's not interesting was, to me at all. Right. So like, <laughs> that's why I think it, for me, I looked the part, not just because I was playing the part, but because the content actually fascinated me. Yeah. And, and that's that it, I was able to work it a little bit more and that made me look morally better mm -hmm. from the perspective of what the church deems as moral than other people. And 
that made me feel real good about myself, yeah. which was really dangerous to the people around me uh, who I saw myself as superior to and really dangerous to myself as well. Yeah. And you also like your, you were a note taker and you were a this and you were a that. And those were all things that I really struggled with. Like I have a really hard time with journaling and that was really encouraged in our church. And I don't know why, but it was really encouraged. And once again, in a moral way. Yeah. And I <laughs> like you're morally oh, better. Well, our, I mean, our, our high school pastor used to say that note takers get to heaven quicker. So if that yeah. doesn't give you an idea of the moral aspect of it, I don't know what will. Um, but I didn't, uh, none of that clicked for me. And I've talked about this in episode five, but the thing that finally clicked was when I was able to take a role in the church where I was important and it, it fit my uh, talent and my, um, I'm very organized. I'm very, um, uh, detail oriented. I'm really good at catching things and being very like, uh, just on and specific. I'm ready really well in high stress situations when there's really busy environments. And so I ended up going into this experience role, which you did prior to me. And it was one of the reasons why I went into it. And I started out interning under an intern and, um, not really interning, but kind of like just being like his apprentice essentially. And, um, he left the internship and they tried to find an adult to replace him for like six months and they couldn't. Every adult would be there for like two weeks. And I was essentially training these adults and they didn't, and I'm 15, 16 at the time and they don't know what they're doing. So somehow this entire thing ends up falling into my lap where me as a 16 year old, I am running services that in conferences that are servicing a thousand, two thousand young adults or young children. They're not adults, young children, like the youth of Maybe. the greater Seattle area. <laughs> and yeah. I'm 16 and I felt like the shit. I had a yeah. key card to the offices. I was allowed to go up there and hang out. I had a place where I would take naps because I was there yeah. so often. Everyone knew and my to name. Preface too, this is like a small mega church. Yeah. Like this is not. Uh, your local Presbyterian no, church no, no, with a no. steeple. No. This is a massive, massive property. Um, I know that Fina has mentioned that like the school is attached to the church, yeah, right? yeah. but like the church itself is a massive property. You can hold so many people um, in the primary like auditorium not, area. Not to mention, and, aside from the primary auditorium, there's an entire upstairs with like additional yeah. really large like classrooms and event spaces yeah. and sometimes like easter services would get so big that they would have overflow rooms <laughs> with they TVs. would have chairs out in the foyer with tvs that had access to like speakers out there and this was a massive massive well, a, church a massive church, and an organization a, an organization that also at one point while we were there had four different campuses so like that's yeah. how big it was it had the primary campus and then there was another campus that got relatively large and then there was a campus in the downtown area of the city that we were yeah. in and then there was a um another campus and a smaller little cute aesthetically pleasing church um and so there was we had like it was big and so once I, of course you felt good about yourself oh, yeah. is I what felt, I'm trying to say. Yeah, like, I felt special. And of important. course. Yeah. Um, which we can get into that a little bit later. Cause I know I have experience on here a little bit to talk about, but I want to go back to the nuance because I'm actually going to skip our first question and we'll come back to it. I want to go to, uh, racism, which is, it's going to be a jump, but, but keep with me for a moment. So far jump. Yeah. So the, the nuance, <laughs> the new, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I think that 
um, the binary structure of the way that American evangelicalism is built feeds into the binary structure of how people look at being good and bad, period. And I think that uh, I just talked about this in the last episode that I recorded about the fact that uh, I wrote an article about the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard situation. And the entire article Mm -hmm. was, why can't anyone look at the nuance? It's not about being team so-and-so or team so-and-so. It's about the fact that you can look at both situations and say, this was fucked up. Uh, How do do we support survivors through this? How do we support the survivors not even involved in this case, but the survivors just being impacted by the way the world is reacting to this? And it was such yeah. a taking sides thing. And I, I brought up in the article that that same nuance of people not wanting to live in that tension and in that space of feeling kind of uncomfortable and not really having a, this is a villain and this is the the victim or this is the villain, this is the hero, really stresses people out. And they, they have a really hard time with coming to terms with, oh, this might just be really nuanced and complicated. And I think that's the yeah. same tension and nuance that often leads to uh white supremacy because people don't know how to deal with oh maybe i have anti-black uh thoughts that are thoughts that have been ingrained in my brain because of society how do i unpack that learn how to uh unlearn those things learn how to process them and think differently without calling myself a bad person and so um, i got a question on my tiktok asking quote how did things turn racist? Christianity does not mm. uh, Christianity does not equal racism. I have no idea how they possibly connect. So that was one question because I mentioned that uh, in one of my little Q and A's on TikTok that yeah. it, I was I was actively being uh, I specifically clarified that religion does not have to be harmful. The way that I was engaging in religion was harmful. I was homophobic. I was racist. I was discriminatory. I was misogynistic. Those are all things that are harmful. And because a lot of the people yeah. commented, a lot of people commented on the initial TikTok saying, it's okay to be this kid, as in like the church kid. And so I said, sure. it's okay to be this kid if you're not being the kid that I was being. But you're I was I end. was being <laughs> harmful and I was being discriminatory. Yeah. And so the part two was that I got another question that said, quote, when it's okay, or when you said it's okay to be that kid if you aren't being discriminatory and harmful, but I was, what were you doing that was harmful? So mm-hmm. I want to unpack that a little bit and we can tackle the racism part first um so i'll give my kind of quick little thing that i've written down first so i think that okay racism in the church can uh our the church that we grew up specifically did not um teach that uh people of color were inferior they did not teach that um people of color did not deserve a platform there was representation to an extent However, I think that the way that racism can spread like a cancer in churches is that, um, for one, the, and I've, I've nailed this in so many times on these religion episodes, but Christianity, American Christianity teaches you, and the, actually the Bible teaches you that uh, you're superior because you have the truth, you have the book of life, and that um, you are, you're right. You are right. This is correct. This is what's this is what's just. This is the answer. And so I think it teaches people that they are superior because if you have all of this knowledge in this book that is the book of life and it's like everything that you need to know, that means that you know better than everyone else to some extent. Yeah. And when you're a incredibly uh <laughs> prideful child as I already was, and then you hand a like five-year-old the knowledge of like, you know everything. I'm like, oh hell yeah, I'm gonna run this into the ground. So there's that aspect yeah. of just teaching people that they're superior to others in general. 
And I think any time and that that keeps them safe. Yeah. And then uh, there is a yes. lack of representation. There was definitely some minor representation at the church that we went to, but we were in an incredibly, incredibly, incredibly diverse area of the greater Seattle area, incredibly diverse. And yet it was majority white people. Um, and the people yeah. that were people of color were rich often white people too. <laughs> yeah, rich white people. And the people that were rich often popped on stage were the few people of color that they kind of had to present because it was like oh look we have look hello look we have representation specifically in the school the school there were like three black kids in my entire grade and those kids got put on flyers because it was like hey look we're diverse we're diverse and so that's obviously problematic because just the exposure to other walks of life life experiences is very minimal and then there's obviously we don't have to we can get into it to some extent um but there's incredibly deep uh, colonization and like colonialism rooted in modern American evangelical Christianity. So there's that, which is a whole nother like beast to tackle. And then the one that I actually think is, in my opinion, the most impactful out of all of these in, in my personal journey was mission work. Because if you are yes. teaching white children that their goal is to go to these sad little third world countries full of brown and black people that need, they, they don't know what they, they don't have the life. They don't have the knowledge. They need support. They're so helpless. When you're teaching children that who are incredibly impressionable and don't quite understand abstract thinking, um, and they're right. just seeing every every church service, these these pictures of brown and black bodies plastered on screens showing, oh, look how helpless they are. They need our help. World vision is a really big uh, like yeah. aspect of that. Yeah. And you're seeing that. And I think whether intentionally or not, you are teaching white people that they are saviors to black people and specifically yeah. black people. And I think that that without even with without yeah, trying we could spend an entire like episode just talking about world vision and <laughs> africa yeah and without even trying i think that that um perpetuates the idea that and plants these little seeds as children that you are superior yes, and 100%. that you know more and you're better off and that uh you are these people need to be saved and it's it's a double kind of saving because it's oh yeah. they're poor and they're sad yes. and they need food and they need clothing so they need they need saving from a materialistic perspective but then they also need saving because you have more knowledge than they do and so it's this double yeah. you're superior in a materialistic way but you're also superior spiritually and intellectually i think that the um i think that you're spot on for a lot for sure and I think that the thing where, because when you're saying all these things in my head, I'm hearing the evangelical clapback, right? I'm hearing the, well, maybe those things are true, but you can't also ignore the fact that communities have been rebuilt. I'm using air quotes here. <laughs> Community Communities have been rebuilt, that people who would have died live, that people who did not have access to malaria pills now have access to malaria pills that communities who didn't have running water now have running water they have livestock they have access to um, tools that will help them on their own continue to rebuild their own communities 
That's the clapback that I hear in my head because this is where the nuance sits. This is where things, and I first, I also just want to acknowledge we are two white women raised in a very uh, white family, mm-hmm. white environment. Even though we're Latina, it like that does not touch this right now. Like we are two white women talking about something that uh, we have no lived experience mm-hmm. in. And I just like have to put that out there because uh, I am by no means the expert about any of this. Yeah, no. I'm just kind of talking out of my ass to some extent. Um, but something that really shifted a lot for me when I was in school, it was the catalyst for me being like, wait, maybe all this stuff I learned is wrong. <laughs> and it led to a lot of anger, a lot of feelings of like betrayal that like my family had betrayed me, that every person who was an adult in my life um, that was like a Christian had betrayed me, that everybody was lying to me. Um, it was when right before the election of Donald Trump and we were at a class where we read this book called Divided by Faith. And I don't remember the names of the authors, but you can look it up just on Google. It's called Divided by Faith. Um, There's two authors, both white men. So that is, let's just throw that out there. Um, But I had no access to like any information about how racism is perpetuated in evangelical thought processes and the church with a capital C as a whole in America until I read this book in this class at my university. And, um, it's a very like analytical piece and there's a lot of statistics. There's a bunch of studies that they do, but basically the premise is a sociological premise that Christian individualism, evangelical individualism, um, is tied very deeply with the American dream. And Christian individualism, meaning that you by yourself are responsible for your own salvation. You, all of your sins individually are tallies for or against you to some capacity, even if you're, um, you're forgiven and you're loved and grace is sufficient. Um, but your choices are what impact where you end up. And it's you. It's just you. There's no recognition for anything systemic, no recognition for anything communal. Um, It's all very individualistic. And that ties in directly with the pull yourself up by your own bootstraps mentality that is ingrained in the American dream, in American ideology, American politics. Um, And embedded in white supremacy and supremacist ideologies and cultures. So that idea of like individual salvation where you pray like an individual prayer, you make an individual decision and nothing structural affects that for you. It's just you and your individual relationship with God, which is so antithetical to all of Christian history and theology, honestly. Um, I think that that has a lot to do with how we see racism and the church very deeply connected. And I think that you see it 
very much in America because of how individualistic the American dream is and how much of an individualistic society we live in here. So I think that all like zooming out, I think that all plays a pretty big role. Um, and I could go into, you know, the specifics of how I grew up, the communities I've been a part of and everything. But I think that broad understanding can maybe help us zoom out and say, maybe this isn't about me and my individual racism. <laughs> maybe this isn't about me being a good or a bad person. Maybe this is about something bigger than me. And not that I'm not personally responsible for how I engage and live in the world, but what if I stopped thinking about the individual and I started thinking about the collective and systems and structures and how those interact with each other? And I feel like that can be kind of an easier way if you are struggling um, as a Christian to understand why people say that Christianity is racist. Um, if you're having a problem understanding that, I highly recommend looking into like sociological ideology, reading from Black Christians who feel that way and have lived that experience. And um, yeah, like I, I recommend like for me, it took logical like statistic study work for me to kind of open that bridge for me. But that that was just me. That was my experience. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's a great I think that's a great take. It's not a take that I would have been able to provide either. Um, I also want to touch on a few other reasons why I personally think that it the the environment that I grew up in was discriminatory and harmful. Because I think that as much as I think there's a lot more to dive in about racism, there are a lot more questions and I want to make sure that we get to a lot of them. But I'm going to briefly touch on a few. Obviously, homophobia. That's an obvious one. If you're curious about that, you can episode uh, 10, I go into... Uh, talking about um, a friend of Manny and I's, uh, Hannah, and uh, her experience uh, going to the same. It was just in Hannah's wedding. Yes. Congrats, Hannah and Emma. Um, Congrats, Hannah and Emma. But, you are amazing. And <laughs> but yeah, so uh, uh, we talked in episode 10 about the homophobia that um, she experienced. And then I also talked again in episode 24 with my best friend, Jubilee, um, and the uh, homophobia that they experienced at the Christian college that we went to. Um, so I think that's a pretty obvious one that to be honest there, I, we've done some, I've done a few episodes that kind of explain it to some extent. I also think if, if that isn't obvious, then maybe, maybe it's more your belief system that is making it not obvious to you. And I don't know if me explaining it will help that. Sure. Um, ones that are a little bit more nuanced, I guess, are, um, body issues and fat phobia. I think that um, fasting is incredibly harmful and it leads to disordered eating. Um, I can like <laughs> I never even thought about that. Really? <laughs> Literally never. I never fasted. I was like, fuck that. Oh my God. I'm not doing I would that. fast intentionally and try to fast longer than everyone else because I liked the feeling of feeling shaky and skinny because I had okay, yeah, like I <laughs> I had an eating disorder, like end of high school, part of college. Um and then after college. But for me, fasting never made sense. Like I'm a pretty logical person with certain things. And for me, I was like, I'm sorry, but me being starving is not like going to help me feel closer to God. But that whole ideology really ties into mega church culture of like 
conferences and camps of like, let's take kids and exhaust them emotionally, physically, have them out in the sun, have them out in the water. They're not, they're only getting three meals a day, which is enough, but it's not like the food they've usually been eating. There's not a lot of access to snacks. You're not sleeping. And then let's create these very emotionally intense experiences that can foster this um, simulation of the Holy Spirit interacting with you. And actually you're just, you're starving, you're tired, you're away from your family, you're emotionally uh, overstimulated. Yeah, like there's all these things that feed into that. And that's exactly what fasting is, is it's like, oh yeah, of course when I haven't eaten and I'm starving, I'm going to have less control on my emotions and I may be going to feel things that I wouldn't have felt. Well, even if you go to like in like biblical figures, there were some examples of like fasting and then like hallucinations. And it's like, yeah, because you're yes. fucking starving. Like that's because you're that's starving. God. That's- like Jesus in the wilderness for how many days 30 days or something yeah you haven't eaten you haven't drank water of course you're hallucinating like oh my god absolutely that's how human like biology works this isn't this isn't the holy spirit this is lack of food and water and being in the sun period end of story like yeah so the the fasting issue i think is is definitely leads to um disordered eating and then disordered eating can obviously be a pretty easy gateway drug to fat phobia um, and so I think that's part of it. I also, in our school, they had children fast, which is not only, in my opinion, incredibly unethical, but it's also really dangerous. Um, children dieting in general is incredibly dangerous, but having children diet can literally stunt their developmental growth. It can cause like actual really intense developmental issues. So there's that aspect. I think there's also the aspect of the my body is a temple narrative because that is used very often yes. against um people who live in fat bodies and saying, Hey, like you're not treating your body as a temple, like, cause you're da, 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 da. Yeah. So there's, there's that aspect of it. Um, moving on to, uh, ableism. There's also a lot of ableism in the church. Uh, I think similarly to, uh, racism, it comes to the same, uh, not the same, but similar, uh, we are superior. You need help because you are inferior yeah. to us. Um, our yeah. school specifically had a program for, um, people who had learning disabilities and um it was incredibly harmful it was incredibly patronizing and condescending if they were uh it's also just weird it was very weird it was basically like you pay enough money (laughs) and your kids don't have to do all the work and it wasn't there were kids that did not have learning disabilities that their parents would pay enough money and they would get into the program they also actively and there were people that did literally like my best friend from high school had had a learning disability and uh you know they didn't like people told her she wouldn't go to college that she like wouldn't graduate college and she just graduated with her master's very proud of her she's amazing um, there's also but, like, just like they would turn down people who had um yes. other disabilities like there there were because children these, with down the syndrome teachers weren't trained no no one was trained they weren't like <laughs> there weren't like legitimate no one was trained um like special needs teachers that had training and access to education or resources it was just like random teachers literally but yeah so i think the other part as well is that um with the i mean this is a side a side tangent but the teaching thing as well these private schools are not regulated by the state so um Mm -mm, there are a lot of people teaching who don't have teaching certificates who have not been trained who just liked the subject they were teaching and decided that they would teach it so not only like i know names of teachers that 
don't have education in teaching. Yeah. So not only are you are you paying an ass ton of money to go to a school that's discriminatory, but you're also getting a lesser education and it sets you up really yeah. poorly for college and it's supposedly yeah. a college prep school and that is absolutely false. Um, it's not a college prep no. school. <laughs> and so then the another issue, obviously misogyny, that's a pretty easy one. Uh, you go from, you know, not wanting women on stage. Obviously, there's uh, active transphobia, which I don't even really think I have to explain. Um, but then purity culture as a whole, I've done an episode on purity culture, so I won't get into that too much. Yeah, but like, yeah. it's definitely, obviously, incredibly harmful. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of um, shaming specifically women for feeling pleasure and not men for feeling pleasure. Um, women. I mean, purity culture like ruined my life. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. incredibly harmful. And then for me personally, I think that the way that I knew <laughs> that I was being harmful and discriminatory is I was a little vessel for all of these discriminatory, um, thought processes and I would go and regurgitate them to other children who were not actively involved in religion um example a uh would be i was a uh senate page and worked in the senate for like a week and there was a uh girl who was a lesbian and i was probably 16 and was real deep in the christianity at this point um and had a full-blown argument with this child about the fact that she could not possibly be a lesbian because it's a choice and she could choose not to be a lesbian. And keep in mind, I am regurgitating information that has been given to me. It's an absolute regurgitation. You're regurgitating. And knowing that as an adult and unpacking and uh, processing and healing from a lot of the trauma and looking logically at a lot of the uh, ideologies and just saying, hey, these don't, this doesn't make sense. Um, knowing that I caused people trauma through the expression of my Christianity is the number one way that I know that I was harmful. Because if I look back and I'm like, oh, and I've talked about this before in episode five, but knowing that I caused other people trauma and I'm like the villain in their story for good fucking reason is incredibly upsetting. And I think a lot of Christians that are now no longer religious, like ex-Christians have similar feelings where it's like oh I fucked people up through this because I just was a little like a little um a parrot like for the church where I was just a child and I would just repeat things that they told me because you're in a bubble and we don't have to get a lot into the cult aspect of it but there if you compare cults and you compare American Christianity and you look at the um even tithing you know how you have to pay money to cults to like keep your membership yeah. yeah. So that's also what happens in Christianity. You're just, you're tithing 10% of your income. Yeah. I saw it. I saw a TikTok the other day that said, Hey everyone, just a heads up. Anyone who's asking for 10% of your income to be involved in a group is a cult. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think cult too is like, just to be, you know, sensitive of this, like as most things in life are cults are a spectrum. So like, you can have the cult of the Kardashians and consider that a cult. And then you can have like FLDS, which is like, you know, full on <laughs> child marriage and consistent like rape. So yeah. it definitely like I would say that Christian evangelicalism falls on the spectrum of a cult for sure. And that different churches range differently on that spectrum yeah but like just like you can go from very... the kool-aid situation to something that isn't yeah. quite as intense yeah. um 
but yeah, so I'm, I, we can move on to the next question because I, I think we could go through the harmfulness of Christianity for a really long time. But really quickly, let me like, let me, I want to like say the thing that I, like, I want to give an example of something that I did that was awful. Okay. Um, um, personally, this is, I'll just give one. Okay. Um, I mean, I was, I was an asshole in high school. I, um, like similar to Fina, um, regurgitated a lot of really similar to Fina was also an asshole in high school. <laughs> well, I was very judgmental and I thought that I was superior, but I also, I want to really like focus on the fact that I felt like that was keeping me safe. Like I felt like that was keeping me, um, close to God, close to connection, close to family, close to community that like doing and regurgitating these things was keeping me safe from abandonment, from loss, from hell. Like, so I have to give compassion to the fact that like I was a child, you were a child and we were causing harm. And we were also children who were raised in an environment where we were literally taught to do these things to keep ourselves safe. Um, but I, when I was 15 maybe um was at a fair with my evangelical friends um who I got very into like mysticism and uh Pentecostalism uh, which is a sect of evangelicalism and I went to the fair to go pray for people who uh, were in wheelchairs, had crutches, were limping, uh, to perform miracles. Like, would go seek disabled people out at the fair to go pray for them and perform miracles on them. Um, I had a crush on the boy who I was doing this with, but I still, uh, am fully responsible. Uh, but I just want to, like, as an adult, like, can you imagine someone doing that? That's fucking crazy. And that's fucking awful. And, uh, those are very, that's a very identifiably easy way to say that is terrible. You should not have done that. But as a kid, I thought I was doing like a good thing, even though I felt really weird about it inside. I was like, everybody's saying this is fine. Um, so, I mean, there's lots more, but like, uh, yeah, that's awful that's awful. And I won't, I won't go in on those specific people, but I will say that, um, they were, there was a group of people that were, um, kind of leading the charge of praying things out of people and performing like exorcisms and healings and growing legs out. I like, I faked having my leg grown out. I just moved my hip. (laughs) Because they'd been praying for so long, and I was so, like, what's wrong with me? There's something wrong with yes, me. Yes, so I've mentioned this in episode. I faked speaking in tongues. Oh, everyone has. I, I, oh, I, God. I, Traumatic. I, I mentioned that in episode five because my Christian college, the the pressure that it puts on someone when you're praying over them to heal something or to give them some sort of power or mm. gift essentially Awful. just gives that person person the idea that it's there's something wrong with them, and it inflicts shame, and it inflicts embarrassment individualism yeah and specifically the group of people that we're referring to um and i've talked about this in episode five but there was a a situation at our youth group where a girl who had expressed um she was dealing with depression uh really intensely and specifically had talked about the fact that she was self-harming and um uh this group of people uh both 
at this point uh were adults um they were adults at this point um specifically the older of the two was a was an adult and a an, an actual like adult adult not like a 18 year old um and uh decided to pray to exercise uh, do an exorcism over this poor girl who had incredible amounts of trauma and was dealing with really intense depression and basically sent her into a panic attack that made her like pass out and they did this in, in front of like a lot of people um and uh it we can there's i mean obviously the harmful aspect also really dives like mental health is also another aspect of how yeah. it's been incredibly harmful but i've talked about that before did so. you ever like actually fall out in the spirit I mean, you know, when people would like pass out in the spirit. No, but I did have a full panic attack at church camp because I was so overwhelmed. I am, I have really intense sensory issues. And so having yeah, people yeah. like scream and cry and really loud music and fog and I can't breathe. It's like, yeah. I, I did have a moment where I was sitting in a corner rocking like a literal, like I was having a full mental breakdown. Yeah. Like I was lock, rocking like a baby, like with my knees to my chest like yeah. crying like muttering because i was like literally having a full yeah. meltdown and they were like the lord I would fake and i was falling like out ah. in the spirit. yeah i would fake falling out in the spirit all the time i was like the person that like you know they pray and you know if if you weren't involved in this part of christianity god bless you have avoided uh, <laughs> a very dangerous part of christianity but you might not understand what we're talking about um but people like in these altar calls is what we'll just refer to them as like you, everyone comes to the altar and there's a lot of praying over people and um, for whatever ailments or issues they're experiencing. And people would like push on your forehead and people would be behind you to catch you because it, it, it was like you were knocked that. out in the spirit. Yeah, you would like fall and they would like almost like flick you or like touch you on your forehead. And sometimes like it would be like kind of like violent or intense. Like they would like push you and people would be there ready to catch you when you fall and people will start crying and speaking in tongues or completely pass out. And I would just like speak in tongues. I'm using air quotes uh, like fake pass out, lay on the ground for however long that I felt like I needed to lay on the ground for people to believe me. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a show, you know, and uh, I'm not saying that other people haven't had like that actually happen to them, but everyone that I've spoken to that <laughs> did, did these performances were also performing like me. Yep. And what a harmful environment to grow up in as a kiddo. Um, it's just not good. I, I want us to transition to the logical question because, um, I think that ties in a little bit here and you actually mentioned it, uh, the Holy spirit and the, yeah. the mistaking emotional highs for the Holy spirit. Um, but I got a question cause I mentioned that, um, logically Christianity and the Bible does not make sense to me anymore. And people were like, what? Yeah, sure. And I was, and so someone asked what logical stuff doesn't make sense to you. So I'm just going to list them. Uh, the Holy spirit, right. uh, I mistook emotional highs for the Holy spirit. I also worked in experience, which was me literally manufacturing what people thought was the holy spirit it was dimming the lights it was the song structure it was the fog it was the timing it was all of that that created this emotional environment that um manipulated an emotional response um the aspect of fallibility uh really fucks with me yeah. the idea that um whenever you ask a christian well how do we know the bible is infallible the almost the initial answer is like it's god breathed and it's like so what does that mean because just because it's god breathed people still wrote a book people writing a book can mean that people can be wrong 
And so the idea of taking the Bible as this like perfect, uh, infallible book never really sat right to me, even as a child. Um, hell, which we've already mentioned, didn't really make sense to me. Like it was a really, I think, abusive relationship with a God figure. The idea that this person that you're being taught that loves you and would do anything for you and like died for you also is going to send people to this place of eternal suffering if they don't entirely align with what this God figure wants you to align with. I think that's a really we just have to trust that God knows better and that God ways God's ways are bigger and uh, more all encompassing of what love is than our ways. Yeah. So we can't possibly understand. We just have to trust that God has the best interest of everyone here, which means that we can't actually hold God accountable to God's character of being loving. Because if God's ways are above our human understanding, then we can't create and don't have a definition of what love is, which means we can't hold God to any level of what he claims to be. Yeah, I think it's uh, so I think fallibility, hell, tithing, we already talked about that a little bit. I think it's incredibly cult like Um, uh, for me. Part of the logical thing was I also saw our head pastor in a Netflix documentary about uh, an American cult. And I was and he was in the documentary as like part of the cult. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Like, so that opened my eyes to the logical stuff quite a bit. And then the church, I think that um, I've had so many people in my comments say, the church hurt you, but that wasn't God. Like people hurt, but God didn't. And it's it, it has been repeated over and over and over again. Like, I hope you find another community or maybe you could just like love God outside of the church. That itself is also like the Bible and it says that you're supposed to be in community with people. And so it's confusing because it's, in, it's, a, it's almost a requirement to be a part of some community. But then if the communities are built in a way that's bound for corruption, how do you find a place that works there? Because I really exactly. tried to find churches that were progressive. And like I did find some churches that like I really liked, but it was just the entire structure of it, I think, is is similar to American government. I think that whenever you give someone an intense amount of power, I think people are fallible and I think it's going to get fucked up. And so I think that when you're saying, oh, the church didn't hurt you or, or I'm sorry, God didn't hurt you. The church did find another church. It's like, well, yes, but if I at the core of my being disagree with how churches are structured in general, the idea of a church, I don't think is productive then how how do i how am i actively a christian because there are some kind of guidelines to what would classify you as a christian and if you have no community with anyone also yeah. what does that do to your social life and your mental health if you're a part of a religion and you're a part of a community but you have no one to turn to no one to talk to no one to receive support from yeah. that it's not it's not sustainable um and then i've talked about no, this in not. in the tiktok as well but how are we the only ones who got it right i think that that's um a really common question is like and I had that question starting at an incredibly young age was, okay, but all these other religions that people think that they give their lives to, like they believe yeah. in it just as much as we believe in Christianity. Like how are we yeah. more right than they are? And that really messed with my head. And I didn't understand how, um, and as a child, as a really young child, I would sit there and think, well, what if, what if Islam is correct? And what if mm-hmm. I, the like Muslims look at me the way I look at, at uh, them as oh well oh this poor christian thinks they have it right but we have it right and i was like if they believe in it just as much as i believe in christianity like what makes mine superior and i would ask my mom and she was like well like you know like like this is the the book of life and i was like that's not a good answer for me like i need a better answer than that 
the answer is always, um, we like Christianity is the only religion rooted on the concept of love, grace and free will. And those are, that's the evangelical answer. When someone says, how do we know we have it right? And everyone else has it wrong. And as somebody who studied world religion in college, very little, not enough to be an expert on it, but like I can unilaterally say that is wrong. That is not true. Christianity is not a, it's not founded on those beliefs actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but second of all, there are every religion for pretty much period is founded on the idea of um, unconditional redemp- redemptive love to some capacity and the idea of like um, a goodness and Christians just say stuff like, cause we're the only ones that do these things. And it's like, they don't even know that that's not true. Cause everyone is just regurgitating. We're all playing this regurgitative game. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's incredibly harmful. So those are kind of a few of the logical things that I won't get into them too much. We still have quite a few questions left, but for, for the person who asked what logical stuff doesn't make sense to you. Uh, there you go. Um, uh, let's see another question. I wanted to make sure that we got to this one. Someone asked, can you talk about if you dealt or deal with religious guilt? I stepped away, but I still feel so Mm. guilty sometimes. Um, my answer might not be, sorry. My answer might not be incredibly conventional, um, I, I think for me it was time. Uh, basically what I experienced was I think that the guilt was not an internal guilt, but an external guilt. So a guilt kind of placed upon me, not like an internal, my conscious is telling me this is incorrect, but I think, uh, it wasn't an internal guilt. It was an external guilt that was like placed upon me. So I think that the further away I got from Christianity, And the longer amount of time I had away from it, the guilt lessened naturally because I wasn't having someone place it on me externally and it wasn't coming from an internal source. It wasn't, I have guilt about, guilt is a very real emotion. I will do something that maybe I don't think is right and I will feel very actively guilty about it. And that's coming internally from my conscience and from my like moral compass and my ethics and my values. But I think that inherently I didn't actually feel guilty uh, funny enough, specifically about like sex, uh, it, it wasn't actually, I was a very like naturally sexually se- sexual person and it didn't, uh, feel often. I also didn't really feel the guilt. It was like someone would place it on me. Even if that was like, I was dating a religious partner and they'd be like, Oh, we're going to like, this is not what God wanted. And I'm like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Maybe it's not what God wanted, but I'm like, I don't really oh, yeah. care. Um, so for me, once I just exited that, I would have little twinges of guilt for maybe a year after from just kind of residual impact, I think. And then I think once I actually was like pretty far removed, I don't have guilt about things like about things religiously, about the things that are like cussing or drinking or having sex or not going to church or not being um, uh, in, you know, whatever. I don't I don't get that that feeling of guilt anymore. I, I did have phantom pains is the only way I can describe it for an extent uh, of time uh, about this kind of, do you ever um, have like a phantom feeling of, oh, I've been out of school and I should be doing homework where you're so used to doing homework for a really long period of time that like that summer after you graduate high school and you're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing with my life? Um, Or right after you graduate college or whatever, I would have like these kind of phantom pains of like, oh, like I should be reading my Bible. And then I'd be like, 
wait, I don't do that anymore. And <laughs> kind of like correct myself. Mm. But it wasn't as much a guilt yeah. as it was just kind of like a, I'd been in habit for so long of doing something that once I stepped out of it, it took a while for that my body and my brain to adjust to the yeah. new normal. But I don't think that it I experienced so internal guilt. For me, it was, I mean, I, yeah. I do everything either all or nothing. So for me, it was literally like, I'm leaving yeah. the church. And then I, my body was like, okay. Yeah. It was super gradual for me because I f- took a real, it took a lo- really long time for me to try and find a church when I was in university. And there were a lot of churches that students went to, but I just never like, it never like clicked for me. Like I never felt like at home or like I really liked any of the churches that I was a part of. So I kind of like gradually stopped going to church. I kind of gradually like stopped doing a lot of these things that I was raised to be doing. Um, so it was like slower for me. Um, I think that guilt is a difficult thing. I think that shame, I would identify with feeling shame more than I feel guilt. I would, Um, I would, uh, whatever, agree with that. I was going to say regurgitate that. And I was like, no, 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 no. no. I would agree with that. Yeah. I think that shame is a lot more of a pervasive experience for me still now than guilt ever has been because, um, I think that for a lot of people, um, it just, it stops making sense, um, at some point. And I think that for me though, um, I had this experience of like, I worked to try and make it make sense for me for years. Like I went to school to study this stuff. I have a degree in theology and ministry. This is what I have my undergrad in and I felt like you know what I gave this everything I could give it (laughs) I went to the fullest extent that I could have gone I spent my summer my after my junior year of college I went to the holy land and spent a month in the middle east like I went I walked Via Dolorosa, like where Jesus carried the cross to Golgotha. Like I was there, I was in it. And if I went through all of that and I learned everything I need needed to, and I did all of the verb studies and the word studies, and I couldn't even make this progressive understanding of Christianity hit and land for me anymore, that it just fell apart. I was like, you know what? I don't have anything to be guilty about. I I did everything that I could to keep this whole and intact and i've i've let go and if me letting go uh could not keep it together then it wasn't meant to stay together in the first place yeah i can i can agree with and relate to the the gradualness to an extent i think that our experiences were definitely different in that where mine was gradual yeah. i think um through high school where i would have a lot of doubts for a very long time and then I basically hit a brick wall where as I do everything, I do everything 100% or I do it. I don't do it at all because I don't do balance. <laughs> it's just I don't don't really do it. Yeah. Um. So for me, it was literally a, uh, I've talked before about our home church that we grew up in. The pastor was dismissed for 30 accounts of sexual misconduct. When that happened, I quite I wasn't I hadn't left Christianity yet, but I quite literally told my parents yeah. I will never step foot in this church again ever. Right. And I remember that they were like, that was okay. controversial. Yeah. And we, and we, you know, we'd go there for, I, I wasn't actively really going to that church cause I was in college and I was in a different city, Yeah, but, um, I, we would go for holidays and for, if, if I was home for the weekend, we'd go, 
Um, it was where I grew up. I remember up. being annoyed at you because I was so codependent. Because <laughs> I left, I died dipped out on you. <laughs> I was like, why does she think she can do that? Like, <laughs> this is, this is a unit. Everybody does what we do. And why does she think that she can just not do that anymore? Because I was so, didn't have my own agency. Like, I was just so, had so much emotional enmeshment with yeah. like, my family system that the idea that you were diverting from what had always been agreed upon to be the thing that we do. I was, I felt resentful. I felt bitter because I was like, now I have to be the one that just does it <laughs> because I have to keep it together for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, fell apart eventually. But like, I remember being like, fuck her. Like I'm irritated and frustrated and harmed and hurt by all of this too. But like, why does she just get to leave? Yeah. Like, I, I, why? That doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I think, um, and I think, I, no, go for I it. think my parents were probably even a little bit more receptive than it, than, uh, the decision yeah. to, than you were because absolutely. I think that, absolutely. I think my parents also knew more about my sexual assault investigation than you did and knew yeah, more of what sure. I was going through. And for me, I think that the, the sexual misconduct part was what really like tossed me out was I was like, I can't be here knowing that that was what was going on. Cause as for context, I was yeah. uh, not for you, but for the listeners, for context, I was going through, um, a sexual assault investigation, uh, parallel to when this happened. Um, so that was like yeah. my first, like, well, I'm just out. And then I, um, went to a church for a while in college and got burned by that church as well. And there was a harassment situation and it was just a really shitty situation. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was like, okay, well I'm out. So I just full blown stopped going. And then I broke up. I didn't break up with, I got dumped by my, um, college boyfriend and our relationship was really involved in Christianity. And we would go to church together, which a lot of, you know, people who are Christians and are dating another Christian, that's a very common thing. And, um, yeah. there was a lot of that kind of like, oh, we can't do this. We can't do this because of purity culture and that whole sexual, like, uh, yeah. guilt and shame, uh, situation. And so, um, for me, I was ready to have sex and I was like, no, I would like to have sex now, please. Like I'm over this whole purity culture thing. So quite literally we broke up and about a month later, I like lost my virginity to some random guy. Cause I yeah. was like, I'm over yeah. this. This is annoying. This is so um, done. Yeah. And so, and I say lost my virginity because that's just a colloquial term. I had my sexual yeah, debut yeah, yeah, yeah. and um for those of you who are fellow sexual assault survivors you get to choose your sexual debut i do not count my assaults as my sexual debut i don't think that shit counts absolutely um but yeah so that was um i i just i just dipped out and then i mean even in june 2020 i literally waited for like the moment until after i graduated my christian college um because i knew that i needed to um graduate before making an announcement that i was uh that I was publicly, uh, out of, uh, Christianity. Um, I knew I needed to like get out of the, the school first. Cause I could get kicked out if I was like, Hey, I'm no longer a Christian. So I quite literally graduated and the month after was like announcement. I'm leaving Christianity. <laughs> like I was just out. Um, but yeah, so I, I want to hit a few other questions. So I would, I want to clear up one just for my sake. I had a lot of people asking besides religion and uh, someone asked besides religions and religious groups, you at least still believe in Jesus. And then someone else asked, do you still believe in God or a higher power looking out for us? Um, no, I do not. Um, I, I don't, I don't affiliate with religions. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't really believe in God. I don't really give a shit. I, I don't know if there's someone looking out for us. I don't know if there's a higher power. I don't understand any of it. I never will understand any of it. So I just don't associate with it. 
Um, for me, that's been very freeing and very like anxiety relieving for some people that causes a lot of anxiety. It's kind of a person by person thing. Um, I also want to clarify a lot of people were asking like, well, what a like, uh, I have a quote specifically. Someone commented, I'm so sorry you went through trauma. I too have had people in the church hurt me, but I always remind myself that those are the people that hurt me and not God. Um, I also had a lot of people, yeah, I had a lot of people commenting, I'll pray for you. I have a whole video on TikTok as to why I'll pray for you is problematic, but essentially it just boils down to what we've been talking about this entire time is the idea that it just gives off the idea that you think you're superior to other people and that they need your prayer and they need your saving. And that's assuming that you know more about someone's human experience than they do simply because you follow a religion there too there's also yes and i i i've clarified that you touched on that yeah i clarified that in the video as well is that you walking up to someone and praying for them or saying i'll pray for you is a lot different than can i pray for you because if can if you ask can i pray for you i don't think that's inherently problematic um i think it's inherently problematic boundaries you can say no i think it's inherently (laughs) problematic if you say (laughs) if someone says no and you don't respect that i think that's problematic um but also like people have asked like well what about people who just come up to me and pray for me for one like you have every right to be able to walk away from that if someone walks up to you and starts praying you can say oh don't pray for me and walk away I have quite literally even at even when I was a Christian I had people try to use prayer as a manipulation tactic over me specific specifically this one girl who wouldn't leave me alone um who kept trying to enter my life and use prayer as a way to do so and at one point like just laid her hands on me and started praying. And I literally like picked her hands up and moved it and like, <laughs> like scooted over. Yeah. Um, you're more than welcome to say no to people. And um, that can be hard to set boundaries and to like gain the comfortability to even learn how to do that, especially if you've grown up in religion and maybe that um, agency or that um, yeah. consent advocacy has and kind of been removed. And always say no if it's safe, right? Like we're speaking from the experience of like, we're both moved out of our house. You have like really great loving parents. This is in no way saying like, if you're in an abusive environment with your family and your family uses religion to control and abuse you, like if you're not safe to say no and set those boundaries, like obviously don't do that. Like there, there are other ways to, you know, protect your own peace while you're also protecting your physical body. So yeah, you just have to like throw that out there. Um, yeah, I would definitely, uh, agree with that. Um, so that's part of it. I think, uh, I've talked about this in episode five as well, but, um, there are definitely, um, different ways to set boundaries. If you are choosing to leave Christianity for me personally, that was me making an announcement because I wanted to make sure the people who associated me with religion knew that I was no longer publicly associated with that or privately associated with it. And so if they were coming to me asking for prayer, that was triggering for me. And so I I set a boundary and I set a very clear boundary saying, if you come in the comments and say, I'll pray for you, you're getting blocked. Like I'm blocking you immediately. No questions asked. I don't care if you're my like my dad, you're getting blocked. Uh, my dad didn't do that, but I'm just giving an example of like, no. like anyone who might like, you know, I don't care how close you are to me, you're getting blocked. And so that was part of it. Yeah. I also unfollowed a lot of people who were very outward about their expression of Christianity because that was triggering for me. Um, yeah. I unfollowed all of the uh, religious artists that I followed on Spotify. So I wouldn't get updates about their music being released. Um, I threw away my Bible. I threw away uh, all the religious books that I had. I had a Judah Smith book, Stephen Furtick. I had all the mega church pastors books. I threw all of them away. I didn't do any of this. Oh, I threw them away. Everything's on my bookshelf. Oh, no. I threw them all away. I didn't donate them because I was like, no one needs this shit. (laughs) That shit got away. Well, I don't have any of the like 
I don't have like the mega church pastor books. I never had any of those. Oh yeah, you, the only my, like my NIV commentary by Peter Ends about Exodus, which actually I recommend. I recommend that. All of mine are <laughs> but, gone. But yeah, I have all of that on my bookshelves. Like I'm, I'm still. I'm not a Christian anymore. I do want to. I do want to clarify that that like I don't consider myself a Christian anymore. Um, but yeah, I'm just still interests me. Yeah the the only religious um texts that i have now are uh i have c.s lewis still um i have quite a few c.s lewis books just because i think he's a really good writer and i think he has good commentary on life in general and i find it interesting and then i have a book by max lucado about anxiety that is not because i like max lucado or i agree with his take on anxiety just for nothing yeah it's because my mom yeah, my mom got it for me when I was going through my suicidal ideations and yeah. was really depressed. And so I have it more for a sentimental and like nostalgic value of the fact that my mom was trying really hard to help me with my anxiety than uh, for the sake of me believing in it. But so I would I would recommend that um, removing yourself entirely from it. Um, for me, cutting cutting all ties was helpful. For some people, that's not helpful. But for me, it was helpful to just remove right. any possible triggers. Um, and then. Another question um, that I got was, do you deal with the anxiety of no one being there for you anymore? In hard times, I have no one to turn to. I have no God's got me feeling, mm. um, which broke my heart. That's an awful one. Yeah. That's a hard one. And I, I deal with that. I do too. And I think I, I get it more about anxiety of the afterlife than anything. Because I had sure. a lot of comfort in the idea of if there's a heaven, I get to I'm gonna fucking cry. If there's a heaven, I get to see my dog again. And so the idea right. that if there's not a heaven, um, if she goes, that's the last time I get to see her is something that I battle with yeah. a lot. Um I have a lot of yeah. pet OCD anxiety. I've talked about this before. <laughs> Anytime I talk about my dog, I start yeah. crying. Um, but yeah, so that's one of the ones. Um, is seeing her again and the idea that if if she's gone she's gone for good and I've heard from other people yeah. that in death and grief that can also not having a belief in the afterlife can be really really difficult yeah we create we create like religion and structure around the afterlife because it's mystical and we don't understand it so we want to create rules that comfort us and give us structure to understand that's why religion is so fascinating because it's so so human for us to need answers for us to want answers for us to want certainty to want control to want to understand so it's human it's normal religion and believing in religion and needing it in a time of grief or loss And even if like you don't consider yourself a Christian anymore, but in times where you're feeling pain or loss or grief, wanting that again or missing it or grieving it, that all makes sense. That's all a part of the process. So if you're experiencing that, you're human. Yeah. It's okay. It makes sense. That's a part of life. Um, And if, if giving yourself some comfort by even saying like, maybe it is true. For a minute, if you need to say it and feel that way and believe that, there's no rules. The rules of deconstruction, we don't have those. You can do it how you want to do it. It's not the same as evangelicalism where there's all these rules. Um, If you want to jump back and forth between believing and not believing because that's what feels comfortable for you, do that as long as you're not harming someone. Yeah, and that's that's my 
my caveat as well is I don't think that religion is inherently harmful. I think that if you need spirituality and you need to believe in something, I get that. And I think that that has been a serious point of grief. Um, I've noticed that since I left Christianity, I don't know if I just opened my eyes to more of how fucked up the world is or if the world got more fucked up. I'm not entirely sure which one it is. But it's um, both. It's both probably. Yeah. But so that was a hard that's been really difficult to just be like, okay, well, now I feel like I bear this all on my own and I don't have this big figure to put it on. It's felt like a lot more pressure and I felt a lot more burnt out. Um, So I totally understand the idea of wanting to find something bigger so that you can rely on it and have some anxiety eased and have feel like you're not alone and not the only one in control of things like I I understand that entirely. Um, So, yeah, I, I think that that feeling of anxiety is really common. I also think that the grief is incredibly common. I've talked about this on on my TikTok as well about um, I didn't experience as much anxiety about leaving as I thought I would, but I experienced a hell of a lot more grief than I thought I was going to. Um, Not grieving the religion. Grief work is a big part of this. Yeah, grieving the loss of community. I lost all my friends. Um, I lost my church community. I lost my school community because my school was also religious. Um, I went from having a good solid group of girlfriends to quite literally having one friend. And um, that friend also deconstructed at the exact same time as me, which is why we stayed friends. Um, And she's still my best friend. And uh, I, I literally like I had friends not want to be in my life anymore because of the way I was expressing my sexuality. Um, it, it, it was like a, it was a really intense situation and it sucks to be in. There's a lot of loss involved. Yeah. And, um, we don't ever learn how to grieve, especially in evangelical circles, because, uh, the way that grief is bypassed is by saying you get to see them again, Mm. get to see them again. We will all be together again. There will be no tears. There will be no pain. There will be no suffering. All of this will end and there will be this utopia of glory and comfort and goodness and peace and it will all be okay. So of course, losing that certainty will break you and um, we don't learn how to grieve because we never had to. And we were discouraged from grieving because everything was going to be okay. We were all going to see each other again. So I encourage you to learn how to grieve, read books about grief. From, yeah. From, from Buddhist perspective. Look at the Buddhism perspective say, of grief. Yeah, Buddhists grief, have that shit beautiful. down. <laughs> It is life altering. I highly recommend reading about grief work. Um, maybe even working with a therapist that specializes in grief work, um, because that's going to be huge. Learning how to grieve will change your life. And if you were raised evangelical, you have probably never learned how to grieve, even if you had massive losses in your life, even if you lost a parent. Yeah, and I. Um, funny enough, have an episode on grief because of that, because the idea of yeah. grieving was so stressful for me. And anytime I would think about anyone dying, I would kind of have a panic attack and have to just like not think yeah. about it. Specifically post leaving uh, Christianity, it was just way too difficult for me. And I've talked about this um, before, but once again, my dog, it was, it was all about my dog. It was about the fact that now I have this little thing that I love more than anything in the world. And I don't know what to do about the grief of that and the idea of losing yeah. her. And so um, we actually have an entire episode on um, grief. 
uh, episode 40 is getting to know grief with Lou of the grief project at the grief project. Lou is fantastic. Um, Lou lost uh, her mother and um, has like dedicated like a part of her life to just talking about grief and lost her mother and then went through a divorce in the pandemic and like literally experienced an extensive amount of grief. And then her her daughter also lost her best friend, like all like pretty close to each other. And it was um, the way that she approaches it is so gentle I cry multiple times in that episode because she approached it like so gentle that like I'm sitting there like crying about the idea of losing Stevie. Um, And so I would really seriously recommend um, that episode and also just recommend uh, Lou because Lou's so sweet and I've told her I want her to come back on because she's fantastic. Um, But yeah, I want us to end on um what we talked about at the very beginning um what about when the deconstruction phase ends what do you do then Mm. um i have a blog post called reconstructing my life without religion because i think that um deconstruction has become a really trendy um phrase and it's used a lot and um not a lot of people actually understand what it means or that if you deconstruct you also have to reconstruct um because if you just deconstruct and then you just like have nothing left the idea of deconstructing is essentially evaluating everything and tearing it down to its roots and looking at what you want to keep in your life and what you don't want to keep in your life and why. And so after that, you then get to build your life back. And that's the part that's fun. That's the part that's fun is figuring. And it also can be really difficult, but it's, it's freeing and you have agency and you get to decide for yourself as an adult, what I want in my life and what I don't want in my life. And I think that religious groups, specifically American evangelicalism, Churches are now doing sermons on deconstruction because they they know that it's a, it's a threat. It, it's a plague that's like spreading it's through the threat. youth, and um, yeah. they are framing it as um, it's positive and you are allowed to deconstruct and you're allowed to evaluate and it's encouraged. But then they're phrasing it as reconstruction means reconstructing a life within religion, which is not true. That is not what reconstruction means. Reconstruction is not inherently religious. It does not mean that you have to build a life with God in it. No. And these are concepts that existed and have always been discussed outside of religion, outside of modern Christian American evangelicalism. So this could mean whatever you want it to mean. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very individualistic perspective, but living your life from everyone else's control, from the control of the Bible, means that you get to rebuild how you want to rebuild. Um, and you can do that in a community. You can do that with a communal perspective in mind. It doesn't have to be rebuilt in this same individualistic way. Um, that maybe you had when you were a Christian, but no, it doesn't. These concepts are broad. They exist outside of religion. They exist outside of time. Like it doesn't have to be, you can either reconstruct your life with Christianity or you can reconstruct your life without Christianity. It also, you don't make an end goal for yourself. Like I just, I recommend having open hands. Like, that's what me and my husband said throughout this whole process. Cause we deconstructed together. Um, and that usually like tears a marriage apart, but he was always a lot more open than I ever was. And he was kind of waiting for me to catch up. So, um, we both just got really lucky, but 
yeah, don't have like an objective goal at the end. I just recommend having open hands and letting it be whatever it is. Yeah. And I would recommend letting yourself move through anger and not getting stuck in the anger phase because you're allowed to be angry. That's super easy to do. Yep. You're allowed to be angry. You're allowed to have uh, emotions. You're allowed to process that however you need to process that. I would also highly recommend it processing it offline. I made the mistake of processing it online um, and uh, decided to become a comment warrior for every situation and got myself in quite a few predicaments that that were even potentially legally dangerous. (laughs) Um, So I don't, don't, don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. I would really recommend uh, processing it. Go on Reddit, go on Reddit. There are amazing like ex evangelical deconstruction communities on Reddit where there's anonymity. If you need community, yeah, go on Reddit. Yeah, that's a great that's a, that's a great <laughs> Go on resource. Reddit. Don't go on Instagram. I'm I'm not even kidding. Get off of Instagram. Get off of TikTok. Go on Reddit. Reddit's also not like a glorious place, but there's anonymity and there's a lot more compassion I've found within evangelical deconstruction spaces yeah. on Reddit than there is anywhere else. Yeah, but I would say try to let yourself move through the anger phase of the grief. Um I made the mistake, not even the mistake, because I don't really know if I would have had tools to do it otherwise, but I essentially burnt myself out from so much anger that it wasn't that I wasn't yeah. angry anymore. It was that I didn't have the energy to keep being as angry as I was being. And I've noticed that since leaving Christianity, I'm a much more angry person. And I think that's because yeah. I've realized a lot more injustice in the world. I am much more um, temperamental. My fuse is a lot shorter. Um, I am driving on the freeway and someone cuts me off and I'm cussing up a storm like I I things set me off a lot easier and because of my trauma yeah it takes me a lot longer to get back to um neutral so I will get set off and I will shake and uh, if you've ever like been in your car and almost gotten hit you get that nervous system overload where you start shaking and your hands are shaky and your breath is shallow for me that lasts 30 minutes to an hour it's not a five minute or 10 minute thing it is a long process I did not realize that was abnormal until my boyfriend uh was like how long does it last for you? And I was like, Oh, like 30 minutes. Cause I, he was on the phone with me when I almost right. got like hit and I was on my way to work and I shook for almost an hour afterwards. And so it is exhausting to be that angry and be that, uh, have that short of a fuse. Because for me, when I feel angry or I get spiked in that way, it takes a lot longer to come back down. And that's something that I'm still yeah. actively working on. I have not found the solution to that whatsoever, but I would just recommend that don't surround yourself with people who are in communities, especially online communities that are provoking that fire and like, um, trying to like, and I'm not saying don't have a passion for injustice and don't have a passion to, to make things right. That's not what I'm saying at all, but I'm saying that there are ways to do that, that don't harbor bitterness and like resentment. And there are ways to do it that is productive and you still get rest and you still get to disconnect yeah and and don't also like continue the ideology of legalism and dogmatism because those are very inundated within evangelicalism a lot of the time and i've seen in deconstruction spaces people let go of like the christian faith but they don't let go of that set of ideology and then it just becomes this like awful awful like dogmatic binary space that isn't free of those ideologies that were really harmful in the first place. Yeah. But yeah, I, that's kind of all we have. Um, we could do so much longer on this, but an hour and 40 minutes is already pushing it here. Um, so, 
thank you guys for listening. I wanted to give you, Manny, a second to plug anything you have to plug um, or at places that yes. people might find you online. Yes. So um, my Instagram is Manny Bobani, M-A-N-N-I-B-O-B-A-N-N-I. Um, and then this is like a really silly thing to plug, but I have been chosen as somebody to do like something at a thrift event in the greater Seattle area. It's in November. Um, it's called Thrifta Palooza, and I'm going to have vintage streetwear there, um, small refinished furniture pieces, vintage decor. Um, you can go on Thrifta Palooza uh, online and you can find it there. Um, and then these are just a couple things that I think if you're going through the deconstruction and reconstruction process could be really helpful for you. Um, I highly recommend looking into the work of Richard Rohr. He is a Franciscan friar and his works have changed my life. Um, there are a couple episodes that he did with Brene Brown on her podcast that I could not recommend more. There's two of them. Um, and then two books, particularly by Peter Enns. Um, the Bible tells me so why defending scripture has m made us unable to read it and how the Bible actually works in which I explain how an ancient, ambiguous and diverse book book leads us to wisdom rather than answers and why that's great news. Both of these are written from a Christian theological perspective, but they give background information as to why reading the Bible from a literary perspective sorry, not literary, literal perspective is what has caused a lot of the damage that we have today. So those are two of the books that I really recommend if you're going through this process. Yeah. And I will add on to that as well. Um, I obviously have the list of podcast episodes on my Instagram, um, that are beneficial. I would also say any of August McLaughlin's work. Um, we had her on episode 20, what, 20, 20 21 episode 21 is with august mclaughlin um she wrote the book called girl boner that is uh talking about um sexual expression outside of religion coming out of a religious environment it was the very first book that i ever read about sex um and it was the reason why i started expressing my sexuality period um and i was lucky enough to actually have a conversation with her which is unreal um, and she has a few other books as well. And then I would also really recommend The Purity Myth by Jessica Valenti, Valenti if you're looking to unpack like purity culture. Um, and then um, lastly, this is kind of a weird like plug, but The Body Keeps Score. I know people plug it all the time, but I think that a really great way to unpack, there's a lot of trauma that comes with leaving Christianity. And I think that if you want a better understanding of your trauma in general, um, that that is a really uh great resource to try to unpack trauma. I have three episodes um breaking it down essentially because it is a massive Those are so good. Thank you. Um it's a it's a They're, it's a hard book to read. Yeah, so definitely recommend listening to those episodes. It's massive. Yeah. It, funny enough, the the first part one of that series is my most listened to episode and has always been my most listened to episode. It like, doesn't surprise me. By miles. Yeah. Um so that that one might be helpful. And then, yeah. um, also it didn't start with you. It didn't start with you. It's yeah. also a good book, very similar to the body keeps score, um, with just a different varying perspective. Uh, they work well reading them together. So, yeah. And then the last thing that I'll kind of plug, um, this, some people really dislike Glennon Doyle. Um, but Glennon Doyle's podcast, we can do hard things is, has been really comforting to me lately because it's kind it's of good. these 
it's Abby Wambuck and Glennon Doyle and it's two women in their uh like 50s that kind of can like mom you a little bit um and they both have a little bit of deconstruction that they've talked about um specifically Glennon um and then they also have some guests on that are really beneficial talking about trauma and purity culture and like um, they do a lot of talk about mental health. Um, they had Chanel Miller on, um, which I've plugged Know My Name so many times. Um, Chanel Miller's book. Uh, Chanel Miller is um, a sexual assault uh, a survivor and a consent like activist. Um, and people would know her as Jane Doe from the Brock Turner case. Um, and she is phenomenal. And she was on um, an episode of We Can Do Hard Things. And it is, I think, my favorite podcast episode I've ever listened to in the history of podcast episodes. And that's partially because I like fucking worship Chanel Miller and she's a genius. But um, yeah, so I would recommend all of those things. Um, and I will list all of those resources in the episode notes if you were rapidly trying to take notes and couldn't quite catch all of it. Uh, all the resources will be listed. I also have quite a few resources on my actual Instagram about um, deconstruction under my highlight. I have a highlight called deconstruction. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. Uh, thanks for sticking around with us. If you did, it's a hell of a long episode, so I I appreciate that. Um, and thanks for coming on Manny. Yeah, I had a good time. Me too. That's all the time that we have for today. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. You can rate us five stars on iTunes and leave us a review and on Spotify now. You can also follow the blog on Instagram at Serafina blog and visit the blog online at serafinablog.com. And then you can visit the podcast online at mindfulmindspod.com. And you can also follow us on TikTok. Um, the podcast is under at Mindful Minds Podcast. And then my personal TikTok where I cover a lot of deconstruction content is under Fina underscore underscore Bina, B-I-N-A. Um, so yeah, and as always, uh, to end our time, unclench your jaw, take a deep breath, and remember, you can always learn, you can always grow, and you can always choose to live your life in a more mindful way. I will chat with you guys in two weeks. Bye.